welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. So a while back, I had this amazing guest on, Sarah Bright. And Sarah and I had this conversation. A lot of it was about childhood and the experiences of being raised as a highly sensitive person and what it was like to be growing up in her family and just how she found her way through it. But there was definitely like we had kind of the before in that conversation. The thing that was missing in the conversation, because we had so much to talk about, was the after and was how especially being guided by her work with chakras has totally changed her life. So I brought Sarah back. And so it's been a little while since we've had a conversation and a bunch of stuff has has changed for both of us. And so I'm really, really excited to be having this conversation. But before we go into it, let me just read the bio so you know who Sarah is if you did miss that first episode. Also, you can find the link to the previous show in the show notes if you come over to empathicmasteryshow.com. So Sarah Bright has been a certified personal trainer, nutritionist, and group fitness instructor for nearly two decades. She's helped thousands of people on multiple continents to reach their health and wellness goals. While she still does that work, Sarah is now also the host of the podcast, Your Chakra Coach, a show that blends ancient information about our energy system with practical modern physiology and psychology. While it started as a show primarily about physical health, the 2020 pandemic created a huge space to discuss mental and emotional health. Big surprise there. The show has grown into an exploration of how the chakra system can be used to improve physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual wellness to bring us closer to our highest good. Welcome, Sarah. I'm so glad you're back. Thank you, Jen. I could not be happier to be seeing your face again and hearing your voice. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And it's funny, as I was reading that piece about while she still does that work and considering what we were talking about right before we got on the, you know, got onto the recording is that while she still does that work for for right now, she is definitely transitioning into some into the chakra work more and more. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And as you were reading that, and it isn't like that's the first time I've ever heard it, but like, as you were reading that, I I kept thinking like, oh yeah, I still do that work, but I also never didn't do the other work involved Mm -hmm. with the physical work, right? I always, I've always, there's been like a mental and emotional and even spiritual component to my wellness work. And I don't know, I can't remember if I said this last time, but I always joke like, Nobody was paying me to do chakra work with them. So I was sneaking it in on the side as we would do our, you know, our workouts or whatnot. So yeah, there's a saying that I heard in the coaching world, which is, you know, sell them what they want, give them what they need. 
And that idea of, you know, we can see the things that a lot of times people don't necessarily recognize. And I mean, I don't know if you've done, I'm imagining you've done a lot of work around like weight with people. Mm, And it's like, how many times do people come to you thinking that what they want to be doing is losing weight? And what they discover is that it's all about boundaries and it's all about healing, you know, childhood wounds and healing self-esteem and self-confidence and maybe weight loss happens. Maybe they just fall in love with their body the way it is or something. I feel like you are literally writing the intro to my book right now, because that is exactly the work that, that I would do is like, let's find the want behind the want, right? You, you want to lose weight, but what do you really want? What you want is to love and accept yourself. Truly what most people want is to love and accept themselves as they are. They just think they can't until they're somebody different. Right. My work was always and is now to help us find a path towards that complete and total self-acceptance right now. Not one thing has to change for you to be lovable, to be loved, to be loved by yourself, to be loved by others, right? I would work with people who like, oh, you know, dating so hard because I, you know, oh, I need to lose weight before anyone will, will love me. And I would be like, well, that is not true. That is <laughs> like, not that true. Is, that is a, that is a objectively false. Um, and so it was sometimes that the work was clearly emotional and, and mental and the physical was just sort of the, the basket we carried it in. Yes, um, yes, yes. Yeah. And so that's so interesting because that is 100% the work that I love to do with my clients. Like the opening, opening of my book, it says, you don't need to lose weight. That's probably a funny thing to tell somebody who bought a book called Chakra Balancing for Weight Loss, but it's true. And I'm going to tell you why, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, all of my work in the fitness space is I don't even, when I'm teaching classes or working with clients anymore, I don't even I won't even do like objective, like weight. I won't, don't come to me if that's what you, Mm -hmm. if that's all you want to talk about. I won't talk about burning calories. I won't talk about like whether you were eight, you were good this weekend or bad this weekend based on what, like, I won't, I just can't even, I just cannot with that. I won't even talk about it. Like I just, like we're that kind of conversation doesn't actually, doesn't actually move anybody's authentic self closer to the surface, right? Like our job is to kind of pull all of the stuff that society has told us away, you know, and finding who we are without all of those coverings, those trappings that have been put on us. And so many of those are physical and fitness, which I definitely quote because so much of fitness that we see has very little to do with health. Very little to do with health. You know, I've been listening to, lately I've been listening to a book which has been blowing my mind that was written by the podcaster. I'm just going to pull it up so I do not screw this up um, <laughs> because, you know, I would so actually, I'm sure they'd appreciate it. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd actually like right. to be accurate. So uh, it's written, the book is called uh, You Just Need to Lose Weight. And it's written by the podcaster, Aubrey Gordon, who is a um, fat advocate, like an advocate for for fat fat people and mm-hmm. body positivity in the true way, not the Dove commercial of like, 
women who are in like, you know, what they consider a fat woman is a size 14, you know, but this book is just, it's basically the 19 myths all about weight loss. And the thing that is blowing my mind is just one of the things that was fascinating is she's talking even about the statistics of like the idea that exercise will provoke or promote weight loss. And it's like, while it temporarily might help somebody to lose a couple pounds, it's like exercise does not result in weight loss. Yeah. The benefits of exercise are rather unrelated to weight loss. Um, exactly. And, and diets are completely ineffective, like don't work. So no, I think every, everybody knows if they worked, Jen, this would be a world full of people probably walking around pretty malnourished, to be perfectly honest. Yes. Because um, they're, they tend to be far too uh, restrictive and uh, not varied enough. I mean, there's all kinds of problems with them, not to mention the fact that you then wrap your brain and distort your mental self, your mental image around all of these restrictive rules. And that messes with your thought process and messes with your emotional health to try to stick to a diet in that way. And so part of what, what I do and what I think it sounds like she's trying to do is unravel some of that, right? How can we, how can we start to tease those threads out and find out what is underneath? What is our authentic self? And I'm just going to promise you and every single person listening, your authentic self does not need to lose weight. Your authentic self doesn't have a body. Your authentic self is 100% perfect and could not be any more worthy or valuable. And it is unchanging. That is the seed of you that we cover up with all of this other stuff. And I think we're coming to a a point, maybe not as quickly as we might like, but we're coming to a point where everybody is starting to realize that. And there's a huge portion of the population led by women, led by these strong women saying, hold on, there's a way to think about bodies that isn't from the patriarchal white supremacist point of view. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. That is sort of the unearthing process that a lot of people are going through now. And fitness could be emotional fitness, emotional adaptability, right? Like, you know, agility. We practice agility, side to side movement, but, you know, emotional, uh, emotional agility. Exactly. Mental agility, the way to think, ways to think about things in a, in a different way than you always have. Spiritual agility, the willingness to, open our minds and our hearts to ideas and concepts that are new or might be slightly uncomfortable at first, but that's fitness. That's wellness. And that is wellness. I think it's, that's the exciting thing that's happening right now in the wellness space to me. Well, and what this also makes me think about, and, and in some ways probably will start leading us towards the chakras is that when I think about emotional agility, mental agility, spiritual agility, I can very clearly know that in order to be able to be online with all of our brain, in order to be able to be emotionally um, fluid and flexible, we absolutely must be responding instead of reacting. And that means that our nervous systems must be regulated, not dysregulated. 
And if we are in a state of dysregulation and we're beating the crap out of ourselves and we're telling ourselves that we need to lose weight and that we aren't good enough and that nobody will love us until we are 10 pounds thinner or 20 pounds thinner or 30 pounds thinner or have bigger breasts or whatever it is, that there's this way that we are completely incapable of adapting of and of seeing things seeing the whole picture because we are reactive instead of responsive and we are and we are in a state of fight or flight and reactivity and you know it's like in some ways it seems to me like we lump all of it on well if only i'm thinner then everything's going to be okay it's just but a line. there's it's so just a line, much right? more it's, yeah there's so much more and that's just a line that gives us well first of all that is that comes from a long long line in a big big industry with a lot of things and products for you to buy telling you that you need to change. But yes. the fact of the matter is there, you don't have a problem, but they can't sell you anything if you're perfect. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So, there, so like what there's, there's no industry to, to. Well, and what is like, promote. isn't, isn't the weight loss industry one of the most lucrative industries on the entire planet? Probably. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, right. I think like the two of the highest, I mean, and it's been a while since I've looked at the stats on this, but I think like two of the absolute highest industries are porn and weight loss. Okay. That makes my heart hurt a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. Because it wouldn't surprise me if actually those two are related. Well, and they're so interconnected. Yeah. 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 It's yeah, like, you've got the male side of it is the porn and the female side of it is like, I need to be thin and thinner, you know? Right. And the the weight loss and, and porn at its core, not in every case, but potentially at its inception, all of it is designed to mold the female body for the male gaze. For the male gaze. Absolutely. And it's really, really important that we start and continue getting out from underneath that expectation. Yes. And here's the other thing that I'll say is if we get through all of this and we find, you know, ways to love ourselves and accept ourselves. Many of my clients are still like, I'd still like to lose a few pounds because I think I would just feel physically better moving through the world. Great. Right. Then I'm happy, happy to do that. But I can't, I can't help you lose weight if you think losing weight will make your husband love you again. Right. Which right. Is, right. You would think that that would be not real, but that is real. I've heard that many, many times. I have no doubt. No doubt. And I, you know, that's, well, and if weight that's not is, how it works. and if weight is the thing that is going to define whether you're okay or not, I mean, I know from my personal experience, my weight has been, you know, a good fifty pounds heavier than I am right now, and a good fifty pounds thinner than I am right now. Like I've been up and down the scale, and I know that it does not matter if I am a size, I mean, I've been a size, they're rare, very, very, it was like a very brief period in my life, but there was a size where I was like, I could fit into like an Abercrombie and Fitch, like double zero mini skirt and, you know, and a size extra small shirt and like that I could fit that. But my mental, like my sense of being, my sense of okayness was not, didn't, had no correlation to the weight. I still felt like there was something wrong. I still felt like I needed to, like maybe I needed to lose a little bit more. And that's the thing I've noticed is that there is no number on the scale 
or in the bank account, because I've also noticed that there's a really, it feels like there's a real connection between how we feel about our weight and how we feel about our money, that there is no amount that is going to be either for the weight, no amount that's going to be low enough. And for the money, no amount that's going to be high enough that will make us feel okay if we are not already okay. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of the feeling okayness is getting in touch with that. For me, I use the chakras, but there are lots of other philosophies and philosophical systems that you can use. But feeling okay for me is about getting my energy, your energy, everyone's energy aligned with yourself, not with what somebody else tells you your energy should be aligned with or look a certain way. And I don't just mean physically, right? Just getting yourself in touch with yourself at an emotional level, at a at a grounded level, at a heart level, all of the all of the ways that you can feel about yourself, getting them in line with your values, who you are, who you want to be in the world, who you want to be in the world. I think that's a really important thing to think about. So let's talk yeah. about you because I'm thinking like I'm sort of imagining that I know, at least in my experience, that generally I'm the guinea pig that learns these things in the first place. And so, and I knowing your story that, you know, it wasn't necessarily like, you know, it hasn't always been a cakewalk for you. How has, like, let's talk about like that, like, was there a point in your life? I mean, obviously looking at you now, I mean, for those of you who are listening to this podcast, because this is an audio, Sarah is a beautifully fit and rather slender woman. And so I'm wondering like whether your body, the number on the scale reflected it or not, have you had to deal with sort of the body dysmorphia, like feeling like, you know, if only my body was X, Y, Z, it would be, I would be a better person. Was that something that led you into the fitness world or how did you end up in the fitness world? And I know I'm asking you a huge, like multiple part question, sort of like, um, so A, did you struggle with it? B, how did you end up in the fitness world? And C, how did you, how, you know, like, how did you discover or find your way to chakras? Okay. <laughs> That's a big multi-part question. And it's a big, big multi-part, multi-part question. Yes. So yes, I struggled with body dysmorphia. And I think nearly every woman in our culture, if they're being honest, would say that they, they have. And so I'm yes. not going to lie. And be like, no, not me, not never. Not me, never, no. Yeah, yeah, no, that would be absurd. I do know I grew up as a real, like just kind of skinny, scrawny kid. I was always a year younger than everybody in my class at school. So that makes a big difference when you're growing up. You're just smaller, right? Because you haven't grown that extra year. Right. But I I think about it and I, I never really thought about my body. Didn't think about it too much because children don't much. Well, they do more now, I think, but When I was growing up, I don't think kids thought a ton about their bodies other than just getting on a bike or throwing them down the grass hill or whatnot. But in PE in middle school, around about seventh grade, I think, and I was probably 11, 10 or 11. And for some God only knows why reason, they were taking body fat measurements of children, which is offensive on so many levels. It's so wrong. So wrong. And yet now they, and I gather they are, there are places in the United States that are giving BMI report cards for children. That's right. And, and, and I mean, you and I could probably do an entire episode on, on why the BMI is like 
evil and wrong and completely messed up and a tool of white supremacy, patriarchal white supremacy, evidence-based, not (laughs) evidence-based and based on white men. Yes, that's right. Only. (laughs) That's right. Only. Only. So they were taking these body fat measurements and I was waiting in line for my turn. I wasn't even thinking about it. I just was just doing what I was supposed to be doing. And the teacher, bless her, because I think, I think if I met her now, we'd be friends. But like at the time she was just like the mean PE teacher. But when it got to my turn, she'd been joking around and, you know, taking people's measurements and then being, you know, announcing what they were. And when I got to my turn, I stood up on this little box and she did that pinchy thing with the calipers. Have you ever had that done? It's awful. And she pinched my calf and then she leaned forward and whispered my number in my ear. And I knew, I knew in that moment that it was wrong. Oh, I had no idea. I didn't know what that number meant, but the fact that she had to like bring it in and whisper it. I just knew in that moment that I can just pinpoint as the moment I knew that it didn't matter what my body looked like. It was wrong. wrong. Mm. And it was not the right body to be in. And something had to change. And that really started, that just messed with my head. And I didn't, it isn't that I knew any, I didn't know anything about diet and exercise, right? There wasn't the internet. I didn't know anything about that, but I knew. That whatever whatever I was wasn't it was the it was not the thing to be. Well, and you were saying that you were generally kind of this really kind of like for lack of the word that comes to my mind is you were shrimpy. Like you yeah. know you were you were this little shrimpy kid, and so I'm imagining that the teacher it wasn't that you were overweight or that there was like that there was a problem. You were probably so small that you were underweight, like I'm kind of imagining, but did you interpret it as, oh my God, I need to jump double. I need to lean into diet culture. I interpreted as I was clearly carrying too much body fat because there was no, what, what would too little body fat mean? Like, I don't even know what that means. They were taking these measurements and I don't, that's what I remember. I have no idea. Jen. Yeah. So don't you don't even know, like, I don't like considering, know. considering that you were young and underweight or, or little, we don't even like, it's no amazing. Idea. You interpreted it as you had too much body fat when it's That's very right. likely it was the exact opposite. Almost certainly it was the exact opposite, but I had no contact. <sighs> I'm getting no chills, education. Sarah. And this is what happens when we fill in the gaps with self-loathing and self-doubt because the information that comes in goes through these filters and what we come out with could be so far away from the truth and the way that it impacts every decision that you make after that, you know, will really mess up your life, which is why we have to be so careful talking to, well, talking to our children, talking to ourselves, right? And being really doing a careful examination of our thoughts, especially if you notice you have destructive thoughts, really have to start examining those because the fact of the matter is we don't know. There's so much we don't know. But I will say that sort of jump-started me into my thought that I needed to be thin. I needed thinner, whatever. It's hard to even say, you know, children have like I did, I was not clear. I just knew that I 
was in the wrong. Hilariously, it did not motivate me to exercise. I hated PE. I hated everything about athletics. Did not play sports, was not interested in being on a team, was not interested in doing anything like that at all. Couldn't do it. Again, shrimpy kids, not great at PE. The stereotype sometimes is true. I was bad at it and it was embarrassing. And not only that, I now knew that I was going through PE with whatever it was that was wrong. So I, you know, and I remember being in like the weight training room in high school. And it still, again, reminds you, you're younger than everybody, very, very tiny. And they handed me this bench press bar, which as an adult, I now know weighs 45 pounds, which was about 50% of my body weight at the time. I was 13. <laughs> like, oh God. And then when I couldn't push it up, mm -hmm. they all made fun of me, mm -hmm. right? Which again, let us be very careful. I had no context. Now looking back, I was like, well, that was very irresponsible of the adults in that room. Right. And that is not my fault, right. but that is a process that I had to work through until I was able to get the context for the event that had happened other than just my interpretation right. of what had happened. So Sarah, you just gave me a context that has never dawned on me until you said something. I So you were a year younger than most of the students. I, on the other hand, was on the other side of the spectrum because I was born like a week before New Year's Day. I was born on Christmas Day. And so I was basically, my mom opted to keep me, to put me into the, kin, into the kindergarten group if I had gone into the group that was like born in my, the year I was born, I would have been the youngest kid in the class. And my mom was like, you are not ready for this. So instead I went to nursery school for two years and went into kindergarten a year later, which meant that I was the oldest child in the class. I experienced the exact opposite. I was constantly being told that I was too, that I was too big. Now I wasn't physically tall. But I was constantly being told that I was too big. And as I think about this, I'm like, oh, my God, it's age. I was a year older than all of these children. So my body was developed a year, had a year more of development than these kids. And your body was a year younger than these children. And, of course, you got these kids who are just comparing themselves to each other. And most of them are probably within a particular age range. And you and I are both the outliers. I got to say, like, you just gave me this, like, light just dawned on marble head of like, oh, I was an outlier. And my body was an outlier because my body was literally a year older than most of the other kids' bodies were. Isn't that or six so months funny. older. It's just context. Context. It's just looking at the situation with a little bit more objectivity, which you don't have when you're in the middle of it, especially if you're a child. Exactly. Especially. Especially as a child. So that's part one. So yes, yes. the answer is you struggled. The answer is um, yes. Yes. So then part two. And so, and that sort of led you into part two of, although you were saying you really hated PE right there with your sister. Um, <laughs> you know, that terrible. you did not, you did not. Oh my God. I mean, gym class. Nightmare. Gym class a was nightmare. just an absolute nightmare. It was just, I mean, and and back when I was in gym class, that was back in the days where they let the children pick the teams, and it was a popularity contest where it was just like, you know, it was like five or ten agonizing minutes of like waiting to be 
like waiting to be the last person picked on the team. I mean, whoever, whatever, like you said, where, where were the adults in all of these things? You know? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I understand we have more education now as a society about that kind of trauma, like right. lowercase t trauma, some may sometimes uppercase t trauma that that yeah. causes, but still, again, you want, you look back and you're like, who thought that was a good idea? <laughs> who greenlit, who greenlit, let the kids decide. Right, right, right. Or what? who was the ad genius who came up with this idea? You know? Exactly, like, exactly. Yeah. It, yes, it's PE, terrible. terrible. So never enjoyed it, never really liked it. Uh, when I went to college, I was studying theater, music theater. And as part of that, we were required to take dance classes. So I went to a dance class and you're not going to believe this, but when it turns out you're outside of a toxic environment, you actually do better at things. Yes. Funny how that works. Yeah. So interesting. And it turns out I had a pretty decent aptitude for dance. Not just did I have an aptitude for it. I really loved it. Mm. And so I signed up for a bunch of classes. I would take, you know, two, three, four um, classes a week and they would each meet two or three times a week, you know, so I was dancing a lot, 10, 12, 15 hours a week. And I, I just loved that. It, I learned to love physical activity through dance. And that's mm. one thing that I, I work with people on now. Um, and kids is bodies want to move, but not all bodies want to move in the same way. Yes. Right? And nor should they, it makes no sense that they would. So let's work together to find a way that your body likes to move. Is it dance? Okay. If so, what kind of dance? Because if a salsa is different from ballet, right? Or maybe your body likes to walk through the forest. Wonderful. You know, maybe your body likes to play tennis. There's all manner of ways for bodies to move that aren't, well, I guess I'll train for a marathon now because that's what every, I don't know if you love training for a marathon, you love running, go for it. Right. So finding ways that bodies love to move. I will say, however, getting that involved in physical activity did not do great things for my mental image of what I should look like. Especially Um, with the dance world. Yes. Yes. It was its own set of challenges. Yes. But the point is, those were the years when I learned to love movement. And my college boyfriend, who's now my husband, took me to the gym because I confided in him that I'd always kind of wanted to learn strength training. Like I'd always wanted to be stronger than I was because I knew I was weak, right? Like, and that's not an insult. I just was physically weak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so he took me to the gym and he taught me a little bit of, of, you know, how to lift weights and things like that. So, which I found very empowering. It turns out I really liked to work that too, because I was getting physically stronger. And this is kind of also where the chakras come into play because the chakras are I think of them as the places where the physical and the the spiritual body, the the veil between them is very, very thin, right? Mm-hmm, That's where they mm-hmm. kind of do that, that, the crossover. I was building my physical body, which is connected to the root chakra and building strength in my physical body. But that was the first time I kind of felt strength in my own self as well. And it's because the physical body and the uh, spiritual and mental and emotional body are so connected in that spot. And the root chakra is where we find our authentic self. So I really do credit the movement base that I learned in those years with helping me find my authentic self. 
Not that my authentic self loves to lift weights, but my authentic self needed a little help getting stronger. And I found that through helping my physical body get stronger. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. that is sort of how I made my way into the fitness world. Now it was several years before I became a professional, but you know, I had this exercise base, but it was my exercise. It wasn't somebody making me play basketball for six weeks for some reason, or, you know, it was, I like swimming. I, you know, was gave myself permission to enjoy lifting weights. I gave myself permission to enjoy going to my dance classes and doing those kinds of things. I tried running. And the first time out, I was like, this is terrible. Why do people do this? So that wasn't for me. Right. Yeah. But, so <laughs> running, is- not for me either. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fine. Right. This like, yeah. let's find what is for you. Right. Um, right. So that was sort of, I did not know it at the time, but that was how I started to find my true self and my Mm -hmm. true strength, the inner strength that had very little to do with the strength of my shoulders, more to do with the strength of of who I was and who I was going to become. And it doesn't hurt that that was during college, which is when you start to sort of, you know, explore those kinds of things. Anyway, during those same years in college, I went to a theater conference because like I said, I was studying theater and my friend and I, and I could not tell you why at the moment, but I think you and I will both agree that the universe was doing that thing it does where it gives you a push in a direction that you need. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At this theater conference, there was a workshop and it was called Chakras for Character Building. Oh my goodness. And we were like, whatever. <laughs> so we wandered in and this woman was literally talking about how to use the chakra system, which I'd never heard of to build characters for when you're in a play or a musical, right? And you're doing your acting thing. Like these are sort of different ways you can envision energy in your character's body. So, you know, find out where yours is. Find out where you, where do you lead from? Are you a heart chakra driven person? Oh, is your character a sacral chakra driven person? Like, and so she explained it all. And I was fascinated. I had never heard of anything like this before, but on a very, very deep level, I knew it was true mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for me. Before we go any further, because I'm realizing that while I'm imagining many of the listeners know what we're talking about when we are talking about chakras, I am imagining that maybe it would be helpful to just be sure that we're all on the same page. <laughs> so oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> We define what chakras are. Sure. So chakras are sort of at their very basic level. Um, it's the Sanskrit word for wheel or disc. And so we envision them as wheels of light. Sometimes people think of them. They are energy centers. They're concentrated energy centers that lie. The ones that you'll hear primarily about are the seven main chakras, sometimes eight, but we'll stick with the seven. They lie along your spine and govern various parts of your physical body, emotional body, mental, spiritual, astral body. But each one does all of that, right? Mm -hmm. It's not the root chakra is concerned with the physical plane, but that doesn't mean it only does the physical plane. And it governs the lower body, but that doesn't mean it has nothing to do with the upper body, right? So it's a system. I think it's really important. Yes, there are seven of these chakras, these energy centers that we talk about, but they are all connected. You can't really isolate one 
from the other. If you are working on one, it's going to affect the energy balance in the mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. If you've taken a yoga class, you might have heard that energy called prana or breath or life or life force or anything or like that. Chi or chi. Of- yes. These are all very similar concepts. Uh, There are a lot of different ways to describe it. And like I said, this this was a philosophy that sat well with me. Yeah. Um, And then other people will have others that work for them. Yeah. Um, So I think, yeah, I mean, we can go through each one individually, but overall, that's sort of what they do. Um, And as they go from the base of the spine to the crown of the head, they're um, become responsible or they govern less and less of the physical denser energies into the finer energies of true spirit. Like the crown chakra is what we think of as the the gateway between us as a soul in this body and the cosmic consciousness, the universe, God, source. Yes. So that I think is sort of a a good description of it in its basic level. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. Well, and the one other thing that in my experience, it correlates with the rainbow as well with the root chakra being red and the crown chakra, you know, going all the way up into this brilliant violet color at the very top Um, with some people then, you know, I mean, we can keep going upwards and down, you know, but anyway, so you had this experience where you just, you know, the universe threw you or, you know, like, like, like dropped a breadcrumb and sent you to this class and you first learned about chakras. I'm wondering just sort of there, like, what's the, 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 where's the bridge? Like that sounds like the seed was planted and how did it go from, oh, this is a really interesting thing to you devoting, basically dedicating your entire life to working with the chakras. Yeah, it was a long process. It certainly didn't happen all at once. I sometimes think of it as sort of two parallel paths where I was doing my personal growth with the chakra system. And then I had my physical fitness career on the other side. But what I started seeing as a personal trainer and group fitness instructor was that people were not finding what they really needed out of just the workout program. Some people were, but they weren't, let's let's take weight loss, for example, because we were talking about that earlier. So people were coming to me for weight loss and yeah, they were having some success and that was great. But what they were doing was outsourcing all of their health decisions to me. Okay, well, here's what you eat. Okay, here's what you do for your exercise. Instead of changing their own energies so that they became the kind of person who made those decisions without outside accountability that they became the kind of person who made those decisions for themselves, that we become the kind of people who love ourselves into change and growth as opposed to hate or punish our bodies into something else. Yes. That's the bridge. For me, that's where it really started to hit home was that we wanted to be making a change on a much deeper energetic level. The physical level was fine. It was doing great for some people, but who they were on the inside wasn't changing. And until they really understood themselves and why do you feel the need to go downstairs after everyone else has gone to bed and eat a pint of ice cream? You're not, it's not, there's not a bad or wrong to do that. That's fine. But if you're doing it because you have deep loneliness or 
you don't feel connected to yourself or the world, that's going to cause weight gain that you maybe don't want. Mm -hmm. And again, there's nothing like objectively cosmically bad or wrong about having ice cream, a pint of ice cream, a gallon of ice cream. I don't care. Mm -hmm. But the problem was that we weren't addressing, we weren't addressing the root cause of that. We weren't addressing, you know, why were people, even people who were sticking to things perfectly, like, but why, why were you on the treadmill at 4.30 in the morning, pounding your brains out, running 10 miles before work? Why were you doing that? Because you're literally trying to run away from your thoughts and mm-hmm. you somehow think that if you can beat your body into submission, it's going to get your mind in order and, as well. Fine. You you might have lost all the weight. Great. But you're still very unhappy and very unhealthy because healthy is not a physical state. Wellness is not just a physical state. So that's, that was the bridge for me was starting to understand. And part of that was just growing up a little, right? We don't understand mm-hmm. anything when we're in college 22, but, you know, just right, growing right, up a little right. and Hence 20-year-old life coaches who uh, That's think right. that they know everything. Tra- transformational 20-year-old life coach. I I don't even know what that would look like. But anyway. Yeah. Um, right yeah, there so with I, you, sister. Yeah. yeah. So that was my, that was the bridge for me. And so that's when I said, that's when I started doing chakra work no one wanted. <laughs> like, you know, and we just started doing, you know, the exercises that I'd been learning for myself, for my own growth that were helping me become the kind of person who could love my body and care for it in a way that helped me show up in the world in the way that I wanted to. So obviously, because this is the Empathic Mastery Show, it would I would be remiss if I did not ask the question. So why is this important for empaths? Empaths, as you may know, Jen, tend to take, you might be familiar. Might, might be aware. They, tend to take on a lot of that outside stuff as their own. And we've yes. talked about this and you talk about it all the time. Yeah. You can't tell the difference between your emotional state and someone else's emotional state. Right. But I will say one thing about movement and I don't mean exercise. I just mean movement. Movement. Yeah. Movement helps empaths in particular, everyone, but empaths in particular get into their own bodies, connect with your own body. and you know the difference between where your arm ends and where another person's arm begins, right? That is a hard boundary. And sometimes movement can help find those boundaries. You can help your brain and your body and your emotions understand what a boundary feels like and looks like. So I always recommend movement of some kind, dance, yoga, foam rolling, walking, anything that helps you feel your body in space, in the world is going to help you as an empath define where your boundaries are. So it's it's really important, not just for physical health, but for your emotional wellness. And you hear people say that all the time, oh, exercise about mental health. And they don't always understand why. They're like, oh, I just feel better. I'm like, of course you do. Yeah. You go yeah. into the world with a much greater sense of who you are and where you, know, where you can allow yourself to sort of mesh with another person when you need to pull back a little bit because you have a better understanding of self. Yes. I mean, you're, as you're speaking, I think about, in my experience, move, when we are just immobile and static, there is a way that it can be really easy for things to feel very, like for us to become more porous and sort of more um, spongy and more uh, susceptible. And 
there is this experience of just being like, I know that sometimes the best thing I can do to reboot is to go outside and to move my body in nature and to be aware of how I fit into the whole thing. And that that awareness of like, this is my body. These are my feet. These are my hands. I'm looking up at the sky. I feel the breezes blowing on my skin. I feel my body moving through the space. It does give a perspective and a sense of like, this is me. That is not me. So I love how you're talking about movement as a tool for, you know, as a tool of recognize within empath, you know, within sort of empathic mastery as I would talk about it. What about the chakras and empaths? And uh, we we have, I'm just looking at the time and we, we're starting to come towards that, you know, last quarter of the conversation. So, so I want to be sure, sure we have a chance to talk about the chakras. So what about the chakras and empaths? How do you see that as, as somebody who is identified as a highly sensitive empathic person yourself? How does how have the chakras helped you as an empath or working with the chakras? Sure, in much the same way, right? If we think about the root chakra governing the physical body and the sense of self, right? I get that that sense of here I am, physically grounded in my body. I find that as a sensitive person, well, and you, I know you do too. Getting overwhelmed mm-hmm. and feeling very out of your body, yeah, um, is being able to. And then overall working with the system, being able to pull yourself into your body. We tend to get overwhelmed in our heads and sometimes mm-hmm. in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, it can feel like a very spinning energy up high. Yep. And chakra work gives us the tools to pull that energy down and in and ground and pull it down a little bit lower to find ourselves again. And so that's one way that it is extremely helpful in this work for an empath, uh, chakra work in that way. Um, but also for an empath is understanding. So the heart chakra is the middle of both the vertical line from the bottom to the top, but it's also the place where we expand into the world. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. having heart chakra work. So if you are an empath that absorbs a lot and also gives a lot, right? That energy flow back and forth in and out is just nonstop. This gives you the tools to slow it down. And mm. you don't want to stop it, right? That's one of the gifts of an empath is having that flow, that in and out, right? That connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Slow it down. The work gives you an opportunity to breathe into it. And like you were saying about being responsive rather than reactive, it gives you that sort of um, so if you've just got a traffic crazy thing you know people are just driving all in and out of your heart chakra it's like putting a stoplight in Mm -hmm. it's like putting like a little just a pause button just a pause Mm -hmm. button right in the middle Mm -hmm. the other thing i know about empaths and because i know for myself is shutting things down completely right it's not you know that flow is too much so instead of trying to regulate it we just bam walls nothing nothing in nothing out yep because that feels so safe Yes. Like it's, it's too hard. It's too much. I can't handle it. And so then nothing's coming in and out. Right. Well, and then chakra work, working with the heart chakra, like you hear about heart openers in a yoga Mm -hmm. class, Mm -hmm. right? That's kind of what we think of, right? Oh, I'm looking for ways to open that a soft opening, if you will. Right. But ways to understand how to open back up a little bit 
to let things in a little bit and then release them a little bit. So that is also a really important way to use chakras for empaths. And then also one of the other beautiful, beautiful gifts of an empath is they tend to be maybe because they're just so open in general, but open, very much open to spirit. Mm -hmm. And that can also make you feel like you're a crazy person in the world. There can be a lot of information coming in from spirit and you don't know what it is, right? Like, I hope this doesn't sound mad and you're welcome to edit it out if you want to. But, you know, I have like audio sense in my own brain. So sometimes I'll hear things yeah. that are not, that don't exist nor they just pop into my brain. I'd be surprised if anybody who's listening to this would feel or hear, think that that was particularly mad. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> because is, I don't, I mean, I don't just a pretty woo group of people who are, yeah, I don't just talk about that kind of, I'm like, Hey, I hear voices, yeah. um, you know, and it isn't, it's not like in the movies, right? It's right. Different. But the chakra work gave me sort of an understanding of yes. what that is, how to management, how to welcome these sort of extrasensory things into my life and in- incorporate them and integrate them into the world. And I, like I said, I use the chakras. It is a system that works very well for me. I would invite everyone to try it if you're looking for ways to feel better as an empath, to, you know, to master your empath self you know, give it a shot because that's just a couple of highlights. So with our last little bit of time, because we are amazingly coming up on the hour, (laughs) it's just incredible. Where do we start? Like, what would you suggest to somebody who's just like hearing about this and like, oh, that sounds like a good thing. Like, would you recommend, what would you recommend as like chakra or chakra 101? Like, where do we start? There are a couple ways to do that. There are lots of books. There are lots of resources. I actually have a free like chakra introduction course on my website, yourchakracoach.com. Anybody can go get that. It's totally free and it's just the basics top to bottom. And that will um, be in the show notes, guys. Yeah. So um, if you want just an easy free resource, it's like three videos done. Nice. Um, their books, their websites. But if you want to like write this minute. Write this minute. Yeah. Write this minute. Have something. Sit up straight, stand up straight. And as you're breathing, imagine you're breathing in from the bottom of your spine up to the top of your spine, all the way to the crown of your head, and then exhale from the crown of your head all the way back down. We inhale, that's the root chakra, base of the spine, sacral chakra, a little bit higher, solar plexus, heart, throat, third eye at the forehead, top of the skull. Exhale, crown of the head, third eye, throat, heart, solar plexus, sacral root. I just had this image of one of those like bobbing balls in that, like when you have one of those things, like with a pump or something where the Mm -hmm. volume is going up and down. So inhaling and bringing the ball up. That's right. Exhaling and bringing the ball down. And you can even think about like what you said, you can think. Inhale, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, violet, violet. You can take it backwards if you're real smart. Um, But like you can even just, you know, any sort of visualization. Because the fact is track work does not have to be complicated. In fact, some of the best of it is not difficult at all. Anything that you do that gives you a moment, a breath, a little bit of focus on those energy centers will aid in balancing them. Just thinking about them, just feeling them, just breathing into them 
will help balance them and open up the energy center a little bit. Awesome. So what is your daily practice with chakras? I do a couple of different things and I don't do them all every single day or I would just do that all day. Um, <laughs> so I do a couple of things. Uh, Maybe I regular practice yeah. would be a better so way to describe first it. First thing in the morning, I do a journal practice. Um, I kind of say, all right, soul, what do you got for me today? And then I just free write kind of whatever pops into my head. Um, sometimes in conjunction with that, I will do an Oracle card. I have a deck of chakra Oracle cards and I'll pull one and see what that does. I also have a daily non-negotiable meditation practice where I sit and breathe quietly minimum of 10 minutes, but longer any day that I can. And every single day I incorporate movement of some kind into my life. And again, you'll notice I did not say exercise. I said Movement, movement yeah of some kind and those are my three chakra practices that i basically won't skip for any reason mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wonderful and with um your meditation practice is that something like you roll out of bed and you immediately get yourself into a meditation or do you make coffee and like how do you how do you navigate that is it is it like you're you're one of those people with a hard and fast time or you find a place for it in the day yeah, that's an excellent question because I used to be very uh, hardline about my mm-hmm. meditation. And then I found that being hardline wasn't serving me. It just became another rule for myself. Yes. yes. And so I have, I gave in the past several years, been giving myself far more grace. I still get it done every day. Um, lately, I've been doing it a lot before bed because at the end of the day, I need a transition between the chaos of the day and the rest of the night. And it provides that buffer, sort of a twilight. Yes. Between my state and it has the benefits of improving my sleep, but it also gives my brain a chance to sort of power down. That actually makes way more sense to me, knowing my nervous system to, you know, to look at meditation as the wind down, as opposed to meditation as the startup. I mean, I'm barely like in the first early in the morning, it's kind of like sitting, going into meditation is almost like, um, I don't know, it it just, it it kind of goes against the flow of where I'm trying to go. Yeah. And I think some people wake up with racing thoughts. And I think then if that's you, then meditation is a terrific way to start your day. Right. I wake up in the morning feeling pretty decent. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but by the end of the day, I'm frazzled. I'm fried. I like my nervous system has had more stimulation than it could possibly handle. And that is every day, no matter what I've done. So that is what I've been doing lately, um, is moving it toward the end of the day. And when I say lately, I mean like the past year or so, because yeah. that's what yeah. was working. That's what's been working for me. Oh. But I just encourage people to, and, uh, when is the best time to meditate? When you'll do it. When's the best time to move your body? When you'll when do it. When you'll do it. There is What's no best the best time. kind of movement to do? What you will do. What you'll do. What you yeah. enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. So as we are coming towards the top of the hour in this conversation and everything, I want to give you a chance to be sure to say what you really want to say. Like, is there anything that has not yet been spoken that you would kick yourself if you don't say it? Or maybe you won't kick yourself because you're 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 all about not beating the crap out of yourself. Trying not to beat myself up. Um, you know what? Maybe it is what we were just talking about. 
one of the most important things that we can do in this life is extend ourselves grace and compassion. And I don't know that it comes naturally to everyone. So actively making a choice every day to sort of wrap yourself in your own arms and give yourself permission to be who you are and who you want to be. Mm. Giving ourselves permission to be who we are and who we want to be. This conversation has been, Sarah, this conversation has just been so rich and so good. Jen, I always love talking to you so much. This is always like coming home whenever I get a chance to talk to you. Yeah, right back at you, my dear. So, so good. I've been really looking forward to this conversation today. Ah, so Sarah, how do people get in touch with you? We sort of talked about it and you guys go over to Sarah's website. You can, when you go there, you can find some really helpful, uh, helpful course on uh, course. Would you call it? Yeah, it's a mini course, mini course on how to mini course. It, what, it only takes, it really won't take you long. It's not some sort of in-depth time consuming thing. There's also a couple of free downloadable meditations, guided chakra meditations. If you want those, they're available to you. I would also recommend if you are interested in learning more about the chakra system, just check out my podcast. Exactly. Your yeah, chakra your coach. Po- if, your chakra coach but, dot com or yeah, not, dot com, but actually yeah, is there your website? Yeah, your podcast. That is yeah. the website. So the name of the podcast. Yeah. So you can find me on all the socials like that. But mm-hmm. the podcast is great because especially the early episodes, we do a lot of deep diving into the chakras, what they are, what each one does, um, the various aspects of it. I mean, I think the first hundred episodes are very deep dives into that and don't get overwhelmed. They're short episodes, but um, yeah. So that's a great resource for everyone to go check out if, if you're interested. Awesome. So guys, yourchakracoach.com and also Sarah's wonderful podcast where we got to connect because I got to be on her podcast. That's right. Um, if you go yes. check it out, you can hear from Jen. She was a two-parter, just like I this. Was, yeah, just like this. Exactly. So because we had so much to talk so about much because to it say. works that way. Ah, oh, so guys, um, go over. You can find if you're listening and you're, you know, driving or something like that, come on over to the show notes and you can find all of the links there. Sarah, this has just been such a delicious conversation. I'm so glad you were here. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your truth your and your authenticity with us. Really, just so, so good. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, Jen, for everything that you do in the world. It's such important work, and I just appreciate you so much. Mm, right back at you, sister. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time, hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. 
So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards. <laughs>